0: Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic, directing the TOSIC Early Cancer Therapeutics Program and co-directing the Cleveland Clinic Sarcoma Program. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Dr. Shrag Shaw, Director of Breast Radiation Oncology here at Cleveland Clinic. He has been a frequent guest on this podcast to discuss issues related to radiation therapy for treatment of breast cancer, and those episodes are still available for you to listen to. He's here today to talk to us about reducing radiation-related toxicities with CPAP machines. So, welcome, Sharog.
1: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
0: So, uh, remind us a little bit about what you do here at Cleveland Clinic.
1: Sure. So, I'm a, I'm a radiation oncologist, and I specialize in breast cancer, and in particular, using techniques to reduce dose to the heart and lungs, as these are areas we can see side effects of breast radiation. And along with Dr. Hallie Moore, I serve as the co-director of the Comprehensive Breast Program.
0: Excellent. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about something that I got to tell you, I hadn't really thought much about, and that's using CPAP or continuous positive airway pressure machines in combination with radiation. So maybe just to start, give us a little bit of an idea what is a CPAP machine, and and how does it work, and why are we thinking about using that?
1: Yeah, so when people think about a CPAP machine, which stands for continuous positive airway pressure machine, they think of uh, people who have sleep apnea, and that's actually what the device was designed for, and it takes kind of air, and it pushes that air and creates positive pressure, and it goes through the sleeper's nose, their mouth, and into the back of their throat, and it helps keep all those tissues open, um, and therefore reducing the risk of sleep apnea. But one of the other things that we've seen is that when you use this type of positive pressure, it can fill the lungs and it expand the lungs and push the lungs out. And so one of the things that does is it pushes the breast and the chest wall away from the lungs and the heart, and it also overinflates the lungs so that if you're trying to give radiation, you're actually giving radiation to less of the lungs. And that's really the concept behind using CPAP uh, for breast radiation.
0: That's, that's excellent. So... When we think about this, what are the most common toxicities that we're trying to avoid? You know, traditionally, we've done radiation without CPAP. Yeah. Um, what What are the biggest things we're trying to avoid here?
1: Yeah. So the biggest things we're trying to avoid are really heart and lung side effects. And when you think about heart side effects from breast radiation, that can include an increased risk of coronary heart disease and heart attacks, an increased risk of valvular abnormalities. And on the lung side, it can include things like pneumonitis, which is an inflammation of the lung and lung fibrosis. And one of the reasons we started using CPAP is we've used other technologies, but a lot of those technologies require the patient to be able to hold their breath for 15, 20 plus seconds. And a lot of patients who may have other health problems aren't really able to hold their breath. And so we didn't have a good way to use these types of techniques until we started using CPAP, which doesn't require a patient to hold their breath.
0: So when we we think about particular groups of patients, it might be uh, this might be good for you. you. mentioned something about limitations in holding breath. Are there, there are particular patients based on age, based on body habitus? who Who might benefit most from this?
1: Yeah. So when we think about it, we actually think about it for all patients, you know, who may need breast radiation where we want to protect the heart and lungs, particularly the left side, but even on the right side where we're treating the lymph nodes, for example. We're also studying this in a cohort of patients who have lung cancer. So, you know, Often patients with lung cancer may have reduced lung volume's ability to hold their breath, and this may be something where a CPAP device allows them to reduce the dose of their heart and lungs if they can't hold their breath. So it's not so much about body habitus and age, but more uh, pulmonary function and pulmonary conditioning.
0: Interesting. Now, you mentioned uh, something about a study. Tell us a little bit about the the research you're doing in this area.
1: Yeah, so we're doing a a clinical study of of using CPAP um, for both patients with breast cancer as well as cancers of the lung. And what we're looking at is we're comparing the heart and lung doses with CPAP as compared to, first of all, just free breathing or normal breathing scans, and then also compared to these breath hole scans. Because the idea is that this can be as good or better than the breath hole scans. This is a much easier and patient-oriented way of, of doing heart and lung sparing radiation.
0: And so when we, uh, we think about a clinical trial, what, uh, how, how large a trial, how far along are you in the, the research?
1: Yeah. So the clinical trial is going to have 50 breast cancer patients and 50 lung cancer patients. And we've been accruing for the past year. So we're continuing to accrue and it's going well. And so, you know, so far our outcomes have been good. The The preliminary results have kind of shown what we've expected, which is that we're getting better heart and lung sparing as compared to free breathing. But obviously more data that is needed to compare to the breath hold technique.
0: And you mentioned before about left side being more important. Are you limiting patients uh, with Left or right breast cancer?
1: Yeah, on this study, we're primarily having patients with left-sided breast cancers um, be evaluated, just given that the heart tends to sit on the left side of the chest.
0: Makes sense. Too early to uh, to understand about some of the toxicities that we might see. When when would we typically find? You mentioned things like pneumonitis or you know issues with valvular disease. When when do those typically occur? And and how are we going to be following for those kinds of side effects?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So the side effects can happen, you know, starting weeks after radiation all the way to months to years later. You know, pneumonitis is typically seen within a few weeks to a few months of radiation being over. And we typically follow this clinically to make sure that patients are not having any symptoms like fevers, cough, shortness of breath. Longer-term side effects like valvular abnormalities, cardiac uh, coronary artery disease, typically are long-term, and so this requires long-term follow-up of patients to see that they don't have any events. Um, one of the things we do know is that the dose to these structures correlates with the risk of these side effects, which is how we're coming up with short-term data, basically correlating the dose to these structures and how that correlates to their risk of side effects.
0: And then what, what if anything, can we tell about um, efficacy or You know, anytime you think about changing a technique, um, do you have areas that are getting more or less radiation?
1: Yeah, it's a a great question. So first of all, we we have the data that says this isn't going to change cancer control outcomes because we're still giving the same dose to the parts of the breast or lung we need to. So that's, first of all, most important that this isn't a study where we think there's any change there. In terms of the side effects and the dosing, we get kind of two sets of data. The first set of data is really just a comparison of the dosing from the radiation on these organs. And we get that right away and we're able to see how it's reduced compared to free breathing and how it compares to breath hold. The second portion of data is going to take months and years of follow where we look at events downstream and see if there's any difference. And so we're going to follow those tracks kind of both at parallel times.
0: Very, very practical question that would be, sort of thinking about patient experience and, um, you know, I certainly see patients in clinic who need to be using CPAP for their sleep apnea. Yeah. And they say, this is ridiculously uncomfortable. I'm not doing it. it. What's patient experience been like so far in terms of not only going through a radiation procedure, but then also overlaying CPAP? Have you uh, yeah. have you had much input on that?
1: Yeah, the patients actually really like it. I have patients actually come and request either ones who've already had sleep and apnea and are comfortable with using a CPAP or those patients say. Dr. Shaw, compared to having the breath hold technique with the nose plugs on my nose and things like that, this is much better, much more um, oriented to me. So actually, we, we were worried about that, actually. But actually, when people see the comparison of the breath hold technique, they actually favor the CPAP.
0: And is there, was there any sort of um, need to familiarize patients who may not have used CPAP in the past to, to these yeah. CPAP machines? What, what did that look, look like?
1: Yeah, we were very lucky. We worked with the Respiratory Institute, and they guided us on how they do CPAP education for folks with sleep apnea. So we've actually implemented the same type of education when patients come into our clinic. We're able to educate them on the CPAP, the equipment, how we use it, and then how we get the pressure built up so that you know they can then you know get the radiation therapy. So it's a it's a big part of the study, and any use of CPAP moving forward will be that educational component. As many people are unfamiliar with it,
0: do you foresee any issues with uh, this becoming? more of kind of a mainstream technique in terms of um, places adopting this or do you think this is going to be pretty easy to to get in place if it shows benefit
1: actually one of the reasons we wanted to study this is it's actually much easier to implement than the breath hole device which can be quite expensive and technically complicated this device is at a much lower price point, so it can be used in clinics of all sizes without having to worry. And it's very easy to educate. The amount of time that we had to take to educate our staff was much less than dealing with a breath hold device. So our hope is if the trial is positive, this is something that can be disseminated to clinics of all, of all shapes and sizes.
0: And then I guess uh, from the trial standpoint, um, when do we expect sort of readout and ability to sort of assess yeah. whether this has been successful?
1: I think, you know, we'll have the preliminary results probably in the next year to two and then obviously continue following for long term events.
0: And I guess the logical question, anytime you're doing research, you know, that, of course, means search and then search again. Right. Yeah. What's what's next? What would be the next step to to move forward?
1: I think once we show the safety data, it's, it's kind of widespread dissemination and showing that it can be done easily in the clinic. That it doesn't increase treatment time for patients or the clinic, um, and really just real-world proof of concept. You know, right now we're doing it with clinical trials, but then once we implement it broadly, it's really just showing that this can be done day in and day out with with relatively easy reproducibility.
0: I mean, I guess when we think about, you know, this is certainly uh, a good way. It sounds to minimize toxicities. What what's uh, next on the horizon? What do you uh, what are the things you thinking about in terms of how to deliver radiation in the safest possible way?
1: Well, I think there's two things. I think the first thing is really making sure we're treating the patients who need radiation. So the biggest way to reduce the side effects of radiation is to radiate patients that truly need it. So we're doing a lot of work on using tumor biology and tumor genetics um, to pick out the patients who benefit and don't benefit from radiation. And then the other thing we're doing is we're innovating techniques that keep the dose to the chest lower. So things that just target the area where surgery is done, what we call partial breast irradiation. The less normal tissues we treat, the less risk of side effects as well beyond these types of techniques. So again, both of those are kind of running in parallel, but we're hoping that will allow us to give radiation to the patients that will benefit most in the way that's least toxic.
0: I guess uh, we've talked about kind of the benefits of doing um, something like CPAP. What are the downsides?
1: Yeah, the downsides are it requires a little bit of training and education. And like you said, some patients, it can be a bit scary when they see that, but we really work with them to educate them. The other thing is you really want people who know how to use it properly. And we're we're lucky to have folks that have been trained properly by the Respiratory Institute because if you don't do it carefully, you can certainly, you know, if you put too much pressure, cause side effects. And that's why it's titrated very slowly when the patients are done doing it so that we don't increase the pressure too quickly on the lungs and the chest.
0: Well, it certainly sounds like an, an exciting approach to try to minimize toxicity and, and benefit patients. And uh, good luck with the remainder of the study. And hopefully we have some uh, some good results to help our patients.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Shepard.
0: To make a direct online referral to our Toxic Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancerpatientreferrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.